we're walking through the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus' revolutionary talk about what it means to follow God continuously, completely. And the overwhelming thing that we've seen so far is that God doesn't just want our external behavior, he wants our heart. God doesn't just want a Valentine's Day card. He doesn't just want an evening at a nice restaurant. He, he doesn't want the, the whole chocolates thing. God wants our heart. And, and Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount begins to talk to us, to take us and put us on that operating table so that he can do heart surgery on us and take a heart that maybe has drifted from him and bring it back to him. Today's message is, is a little ironic because it deals with what happens when love actually shrivels up and dies. Um, when I planned the messages, it wasn't designed to be Valentine's Day weekend, but I think the Holy Spirit may have been working upstream on that one and brought it all together. If you've got your Bibles, take them out, turn to Matthew chapter 5. If you've got your smartphones, take them out and open them up to the North Point app. And we're going to jump into a scripture that may just seem kind of abrupt, but it's in the, in the Sermon on the Mount, and it follows right where we left off last week. Jesus said, It was also said, Whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the grounds of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. If you just walked in and you read that kind of out of the blue, you kind of have this sense of, what? What's Jesus talking about in that? But in order for it to make sense, you've got to kind of climb inside the heads of the Jewish audience that he was speaking to on that hillside that day as he delivered the Sermon on the Mount. In their minds, when they heard certificate of divorce, their minds immediately went to Deuteronomy 24. It was a passage of scripture from the Torah that they had memorized. It was this passage of scripture, Deuteronomy 24, 1 through 4. When a man takes his wife and marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of the house, and she departs out of the house, and if she goes and becomes another man's wife, and the latter man hates her and writes her a cert certificate of divorce too, and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house, or if the latter man dies, who took her to be his wife, then her former husband, who sent her away, may not take her again to be his wife." After she had been defiled, for that's an abomination before the Lord. The, the Jews, the Jewish people, had memorized this section of the Torah, and they knew it and understand it. They had really probably memorized what the rabbis taught about it as well. One of the rabbis said this, this whole deal of, of when, when a man um, has, uh, he, he, uh, she finds no favor in his eyes and he has found some indecency in her. One rabbi said, you know what, that was for any reason at all. So, if your wife um, burns your breakfast, or if your wife gains a few pounds, or if your wife doesn't show you enough respect, you can just write her a certificate of divorce and send her on her way, and the marriage is done. That was what one rabbi taught. For any reason at all, you could divorce. There was another rabbi that said, ah, no, actually what that word in the Hebrew means, it, it's so, it shows some kind of sexual impropriety. So there was something that, was, that had to do with a sexual relationship that that, um, that was an issue and that that's what 
was at stake there, that if that happened, maybe, maybe she was flirting, maybe, maybe something wasn't right between the two of them, that for that reason, you could write a certificate of, divor- of divorce. It wasn't, this certificate of divorce that they're talking about, it wasn't for adultery. It wasn't for having a relationship, a physical relationship with someone outside their marriage, because the Jews also knew from the Torah that there was a very clear law about that. It came from Leviticus chapter 20. If a man commits adultery with his wife or his neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulteress surely shall be put to death. So understand that as the Jews heard Jesus talk about this, they knew that if there was adultery, that the punishment of that was death. But that the Jews had the ability, based on on, uh, Deuteronomy 24, to write a certificate of divorce, but there was some question about what made that okay. If a man was going to divorce his wife, the law said that he had to write her a certificate of divorce. That actually protected the woman and said even though she was divorced, she had this certificate that said her honor, her reputation was still good. Her husband just didn't like her, and she was free to marry again. What Jesus said was this, your religious teachers have said that you can divorce a woman for any reason you want. I'm telling you, the only valid reason is if she's been unfaithful. And then you don't have to exact capital punishment. You can divorce her. If you divorce her for any other reason, you're going to cause her to marry someone else. And in doing so, you'll cause her to commit adultery because she was pledged to you. She was given to you. You have that one-on-one relationship. Jesus was, again, going to the heart of the law and not the letter In the last three weeks, we've talked about it. Uh, Jesus said, you've heard it said, don't commit murder. But I tell you, if you have anger in your heart towards your brother, it's the exact same thing. Don't even be angry at your brother. Jesus said, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery. But I say to you, don't even look at another person with lust, with lustful intent. Don't let that happen. It's it's, It's the same thing. Jesus said, you've heard it said, divorce is okay for, uh, for any reason, so long as you do it in the right way. But Jesus said, I'm telling you, divorce isn't okay. It's going to make your wife betray her vows to you and sin. The only time divorce is okay is when it's chosen as an act of grace and mercy instead of the death penalty. Jesus' standard was about the heart, not simply the external behavior that was legal. A little later in Jesus' ministry, Jesus is teaching on relationships. Check out Matthew 18 for what precedes this passage of Scripture. And he expounds on that, on that teaching. Beginning in Matthew 19, verse 3, Pharisees come up to him and test him, saying, is it, lawful, is, is it really lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? Jesus answered, Haven't you read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. They said to him, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? He said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. For many of us, 
to read this scripture and to deal with this topic is extremely difficult and painful because we have been touched so deeply by divorce. Many of you have experienced firsthand the pain of a broken marriage. Others of you have had a front row seat watching as your parents' relationship dissolved in front of your eyes or a family member or a close friend, you walked with them through the pain of that divorce. There's a danger in hearing this scripture today and just turning it all off and not hearing any grace in what Jesus said. But hear me, Jesus wasn't beating people up for their actions. He was beating people up for their heart condition. They were in critical condition because of the of their hardened hearts. The Jewish leaders in Matthew 19 thought that they could trap Jesus. Jesus is healing people. People are following him. He's he's got a great response. The Jewish leaders are mad because they're not following them. They recognized that the system that they had in place, as they had interpreted, as they had interpreted um, that passage from Deuteronomy 24, it provided a great trap because it wasn't really fair. So they asked Jesus, "Can, can a husband really divorce his wife for any reason at all? And they thought, if Jesus says yes, all the women here are going to walk away from him. Because that's not fair. That's not right. And if he says no, that's going to put him in violation of, the, of our understanding of the Jewish law. And so we'll be able to discredit him for that reason. And Jesus got right to the center. He said, you guys are all messed up. He said, divorce isn't a part of God's plan. God's plan for marriage is that it lasts a lifetime. God's plan for marriage is that it lasts a lifetime. Haven't you read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So they're no longer two but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Jesus said that. God's design, God's plan, God's blueprint was for male and female marriage till death do us part. One man, one woman for life. But that's not what our culture looks like, is it? When I, when I was a kid, when I was in elementary school, I can remember very vividly a friend who came to school and, and saying, my parents are getting a divorce. And it was like time stopped in our classroom. For me, I can remember as his friend just having the sense of grief for him that he was going to undergo this thing that was so rare and so unusual at that point in time. By the time I got to high school, it was much more common. More and more of my friends, their parents had divorced. Now, every time I interact with the school system in DeWitt or go to the doctor and I have to fill out any forms, I feel like I'm the anomaly because I have to write down name of the child, Rick Rubel, name of the child, Micah, name of his father, Rick Rubel, name of his mother, Deb Rubel. Do they all live in the same home? It's, it's uh, this process that's just completely different than it was a few generations ago. God's plan was for marriage to last a lifetime. But our culture began to shift, to change, and God's plan was replaced by a standard that was built on the way that people felt. 
and whether or not they were happy in their relationship. Understand, hear my words with kindness, marriage is not about how you feel. It's great when you experience wonderful feelings, but none of your wedding vows say anything about feelings. As a matter of fact, the reason that you take your wedding vows, the reason that you make those promises is because you recognize that there's going to be a time when you don't have those good feelings that you have that day, when things aren't going well. It's at that time that the vows that you make will sustain you when the feelings are gone. We all say in our wedding ceremony, till death do us part in our vows. But what most people mean is, you know what, I'll give my all. I'll try really hard as long as you try too. But if you quit trying, or it gets too hard, or I'm not feeling it anymore, I'm out. They make a conditional promise to love unconditionally. Think about that for a second. And then they police each other. They say to their spouse, you know what, you're not doing your fair share. But they don't police themselves. It, it looks like a 50-50 kind of relationship. I'll come halfway, you come halfway, and everything will be okay. A 50-50 relationship will never work. It's a recipe for divorce. God's design was for marriage to be a hundred, a hundred. A relationship of self-sacrifice that lasted until death. Jesus said divorce only became an option because of hardened hearts. Verse 8, Jesus said, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. Understand that this message isn't really about divorce at all. It's about the condition of our hearts. It's about hardened hearts. Divorce is accepted in our culture now. It's it's common. um, in, In many cases, it's almost an adult rite of passage. You can't hardly have a conversation with, with someone without them saying, oh, yeah, my ex did this, um, and somebody else say, oh, yeah, my, my second spouse did that too. Um, and it's almost like that that's just the norm. God knows every marriage is made up of two imperfect people. Every marriage has problems. The number of problems that you experience in your marriage is not the issue how you resolve those problems is. Everyone wants to experience perpetual happiness in their marriage, but God wants you to be holy far more than he wants you to be happy. The world cares about happiness. Followers of Jesus care about pleasing God. What God wants is more important than what I want. We, we often talk about biblical grounds for divorce, but so rarely do we ever talk about biblical grounds for forgiveness. Reggie Lewis was a basketball player that grew up in Baltimore, Maryland. He became an incredible player, and uh, he was drafted in 1987 by the Boston Celtics. If, if uh, you're an NBA fan at that point in time, uh, the Celtics were uh, Larry Bird, Kevin McHale, Robert Parrish. They were vying all the time with the Lakers, the Showtime Lakers with Magic and Kareem, James Worthy. They were going at it. It was right before the Pistons uh, came, to, came to the front, right? Um, Reggie Lewis in 1992, his fifth year in the league, became an all-star, an NBA all-star. In the summer of 1993, during the off-season, he was working out at the college that he had attended in their gym, 
And, and following that work at, workout, Lewis died suddenly and unexpectedly. It was determined that he died of hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. His heart muscle had thickened so much that even though he was a world-class athlete, his heart could no longer pump blood through the rest of his body to sustain life. His heart had hardened, and it killed him. Jesus says, yeah, divorce exists. That wasn't God's plan. It exists because your hearts grew hard. The question for us today is, what's my heart look like? What's your heart look like? Has my heart become hard? Have, am, I, am I in a place of danger because of the hardness of my heart? Uh, let, me, let me just give you some signs of a hardened heart. Um, it, these may show up in your marriage, in your marriage relationship. It may show up in any number of relationships in your life. Some, some signs of a hardened heart. Rationalization is one, of the, is one of the signs. When you begin to make excuses for your behavior... When you begin to deny clear biblical teaching and rationalize it away, your heart is growing hard. When, when you begin to, to, to live a life of deception, when you begin to tell half-truths, when someone asks you something and, and you answer with, with not full transparency about that, you can, you can be sure that your heart is hardening. If your life is characterized by arrogance, by a stubborn spirit, a stubbornness, by the inability to listen or to understand anyone's viewpoint other than your own, if your life is characterized by anger and a lack of grace that's expressed in that arrogance, you can be sure that your heart is growing hard. If you look in your life, if you look in your marriage and you realize that you don't feel the same way that you did, that you used to, that your heart has become desensitized. Your heart's getting hard. When you, when you recognize that you're not as responsive to the needs of people as you once were, your heart's growing hard. I, I just spent some time thinking, what, what causes a hard heart? What makes a heart harden? Sometimes I think unrealistic expectations are a part of it. We walk into marriage and we think, oh yeah, my spouse is going to be like this all the time. And they're not. And those unrealistic expectations cause disappointment that grows and your heart starts to harden. Sometimes in the, in the midst of a relationship, marriage relationship or other relationship, there's repeated broken trust. And it causes your heart to harden. Sometimes there's hurt and pain that's just not dealt with. Say, you know what, I can't deal with that right now. And you put it on the shelf and it sits there and it's never resolved. And the end result is that your heart grows hard. Sometimes there's just this lack of communication. You stop talking. You stop looking each other in the eye, having that conversation. And your heart grows hard. Sometimes it's a lack of affection. You stop kissing, you stop touching, you stop holding. You stop um, enjoying the intimacy of that marriage relationship. And your heart grows hard. In word, isolation is what characterizes that. What can you do when your heart is hardened? How do you rekindle your marriage if it's on life support or exists only in name? Uh, understand this, you can't do anything to soften your spouse's heart. 
There's not anything that you can do to change the heart of your spouse. Only God can do that. You can pray for him, but that's it. But you can do something about your heart. You can take some steps. The first is this. It's simply to seek God's face. To spend time in quietness and solitude talking to him and saying, God, show me what's going on in my heart. Seek God's face. Recognize this. If your heart is hard, that may be the last thing that you want to do, but it's the most important thing that you can do. The second thing is to allow some God-honoring, trustworthy people into your life. Listen to what they say and do it. Allow some people to come into your life and give you input and then listen and follow through on what they say. Um, There's two examples in Scripture that are real clear on that particular aspect. When When we talk about hardened hearts in Scripture, if you've been around the Bible much, you think about Pharaoh. Pharaoh was the king of Egypt, and and the nation of Israel was enslaved in Egypt. Moses comes from God and comes to Pharaoh and says, Pharaoh, God says, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, no way, I'm not doing that. And Moses says, you know what? God's going to do some incredibly big things to get your attention. And Pharaoh's heart grows harder and harder and harder. Ultimately, his firstborn son is killed by the angel of death. And Pharaoh says, fine, take your people and get away. His heart still incredibly hard. Contrast that picture. Pharaoh allowed Moses in to talk to him, but wouldn't listen to what he said or respond to it. Contrast that with the story I told last week about David and Nathan from Second uh, Samuel 12. Uh, David has this adulterous affair with Bathsheba. He, he has her husband murdered. Uh, he thinks everything's fine. And Nathan comes to him and tells him a story about a man who, who has his lamb taken and killed by somebody who's incredibly rich. David loses his temper and says, that, that man has got to pay back four times. That, that man, he should be killed. And Nathan says, you're the man. David allowed Nathan to speak into his life. But when Nathan said to him, you are the man, David responded. If your heart's hard, let some people into your life. Listen to what they say. Make sure that they honor God, that they're trustworthy people that can give you sound biblical advice, God's perspective on stuff. Uh, Let them in and then do what they say. Don't think, I know better. Uh, That's why it's so important that you be involved in a life group, that you have uh, an accountability partner, someone in their life that can speak that truth into you. The third thing is this, hear the voice of Jesus. Seek God, listen for the voice of Jesus. Um, That's going to come in Scripture. It's going to allow God's Word to get into your life. Listen for Jesus' voice. I'm convinced that Peter, on the morning that Jesus was crucified, Jesus is put on trial on Thursday night. Jesus says to him, in the midst of the Last Supper, you know what, before the cock crows, you're going to deny me three times. And that the next morning when that rooster crowed, Peter heard the voice of Jesus. And it caused him to change. It took that heart that had been hardened that night before. It softened it up when he realized the magnitude of his sin. Understand that no one likes divorce. No one thinks divorce is good. No one gets married thinking, you know what? I'm going to get a divorce in a couple of years. This doesn't matter. No, that's not their perspective. As a matter of fact, God hates divorce. Malachi 2 says, I hate divorce, says the God of Israel. 
God of the angel armies says, I hate the violent dismembering of the one flesh um, relationship of marriage. So watch yourselves. Don't let your guard down. Don't cheat. God hates divorce, but God loves every person affected by divorce. Why does God hate divorce so much? Because it tears apart the fabric of the very goodness that he declared over the relationships that he created. You know what? If, if, you're, in the, if you're in the midst of, of divorce right now, if you're, if, you're, um, you know, if you're caught in that carnage, understand that God loves you tremendously. Sometimes you don't have a choice. The person that, that you promise to love for the rest of your life says, you know what, I don't want to be married anymore. I, I'm not going to fulfill my promise. Sometimes your partner has been unfaithful and there are biblical grounds for ending that relationship. You may find yourself this morning thinking, yeah, I'm divorced, but I've remarried or my former spouse is remarried. What am I supposed to do? Whatever state you're in, honor God. Wherever you are, honor God where you are today. Divorce is not the unpardonable sin. Divorce doesn't mean that you can't repent and be right with God. Divorce does mean that there's going to be consequences that, that come with that choice that, that lasts probably for a lifetime, but that God's grace, God's love will carry you through those consequences. If you've been through a divorce, today's the day of fresh starts. Start today to honor God in your marriage or in your singleness. Um, I, I want to close with just one, with really kind of one thought. There's hope for you no matter where you are. Um, a number of years ago, there was a study done of, of over, over 3,000 married people. 645 of those over 3,000 rated their marriage as unhappy. They, did, they surveyed those same 3,000 plus people five years later. They were re-interviewed to determine what happened during those five years. That the people who had, had described their marriage as unhappy, what, what had happened over those five years? And people who had said their marriage was happy, what had happened over those five years? Had they stayed married or not? The expectation of the study was that the unhappily married adults who divorced would be better off five years later, that they would be happier, that they'd be less depressed, that have greater self-esteem, a stronger sense of who they were. Two of the findings that came out of that survey, uh, out of that survey were interesting to me. The first was this. People who, who described their marriage as unhappy and divorced, five years later, roughly the exact same percentage of people were unhappy even though they had divorced. Nothing changed for them. Their circumstances had changed, but their personal outlook on their relationships in life had not. The second thing was this. Of people who described their marriage as unhappy in the first survey, but stayed married, they didn't separate, they didn't divorce, but hung in there, even though they said, I'm extremely unhappy in my marriage. Five years later, Two-thirds of them, almost 70%, 7 out of 10, described their marriage as happy five years later. That's interesting. That, that, there's hope. There's hope for you if you're struggling right now. 
One other thing that they discovered in the study that was incredibly sobering to me. Of the people in that 3,000 people that did that survey that described their marriage as very happy or happy in the initial survey, um, of all the people that divorced in that five-year period, three-quarters of the people who divorced in that first survey described their marriage as happy or extremely happy. I say that to say this. If your marriage is great, be careful. Take heed lest you fall. Satan wants to destroy what's good, what's been given by God, and destroy it. To everyone, let me just say this. Pray for your marriage. Pray for the marriages of the people that you care about. Pray for the marriages of our staff and leadership here at North Point. Not because any of us are struggling, but because our marriages are a leverage point to discredit Jesus, to discredit the church to derail our relationships with him. I want to do something, um, because I I think that there's something really valuable in in taking a stand and and stating what's in our hearts. So I I want to offer uh, an opportunity as we finish today um, for couples who are married to restate your wedding vows. Um, It may be that your spouse is not here today, um, and it, if not, that's okay. In a second, when I have couples stand up, I want you to stand up too and just state your vows again to God um, that, that you would state to your wife or husband if they were here. If you're not married, if you're not married, no matter kind of where you f- fall in that as a, as, a, as a kid, as an adult, whatever, um, while we're doing this, I want you to just look around and identify two or three or five couples. And while we're stating our vows... I I want you to pray for them, to pray for those people while they state their vows. So um, it's okay if your husband or wife is in a different part of the auditorium, you're not sitting with them, um, find them now. And um, couples, if you would, if you want to restate your vows, if uh, you would stand right now, uh, that would be great. Yeah, come up here. Here's what I want you to do. Husbands and wives, look into each other's eyes. Look into each other's eyes. Turn and face each other. And as you look into their eyes, here's what I want you to do with your mind and imagination. Think back to the time that you said these vows for the first time. Think about what they looked like. Maybe there's some more wrinkles now. Maybe a few more pounds or whatever. But think about that day as you look into their eyes. I'm going to ask a couple of questions first. Husbands, will you have this woman to be your wife, to live together according to God's word in the holy estate of matrimony? Will you love her, comfort her, honor and keep her in sickness and in health, and forsaking all others, keep yourself only for her so long as you both shall live? If so, please answer, I will. I will. Wives, will you have this man to be your husband, to live together according to God's word in the holy estate of matrimony? Will you love him, comfort him, honor and keep him in sickness and in health? Forsaking all others, keep yourself only for him, so long as you both live. 
If so, please answer, I will. And now I'm going to say I, and then I'm going to say my name, but men, you say your own name, okay? <laughs> and then don't say Deb, say the name of your wife. <laughs> Irick, take you, Deb, to be my wife, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish till death do us part. And according to God's word, I give you my promise. I, Deb, take you, Rick, to be my husband, to have and to hold from this day forward, For better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish, till death do us part. And according to God's word, I give you my promise. Let's pray. God, we are desperate for your help. We're desperate to have marriages that honor you. God, we're desperate for your grace, for, for those of us who have experienced divorce and, and carry those scars and, and carry that pain. Lord God, we ask that you would be with each person here that... That, um, that hurts right now and that you would fill them with your presence, with your spirit, that they would sense that you're walking with them each step as they serve you. And God, we ask that you would watch over our marriages, that you would protect us from the darts of Satan. God, that you would um, put a hedge of protection around us. God, that we would make the choices that... Um, that allow our marriages to grow and deepen, whether they've just uh, been for a, a short time or for many, many years. Draw us deeper, God, in our love for each other so that the world can see you in us, in our relationships. God, our deepest prayer is that our hearts would not be hardened, but they would be soft and pliable, that we would respond when you speak, that we would live in a way that honors you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.